Welcome to the Drill Down. We've got business stories behind stocks and a move. I'm Corey Johnson with episode number 170. Well, just ahead, how Chesapeake Energy is riding the energy wave of high gas prices and dumping its oil assets. And in last week's show, we heard from Coupa Software, the CEO hinting at a strong quarter. Well, now they've delivered and how. We're going to hear from the Coupa CEO again. And we're going to look into the world of artificial intelligence in conversation. We're going to talk to the guest, the CEO of SoundHound. But first, it's sponsor time. The Drill Down is brought to you by ERA. Never miss another critical event or insight ever. With ERA, customize your company watch list and track key events, mentions, filings, and more. All within an easy-to-use, customizable interface. That's ERA, A-I-E-R-A.com. And it's easier to catch this show if you just look at your phone and push the subscribe button or the follow button. If you follow us, if you subscribe, if you make us one of your favorites, the very latest show will show up on your phone. You can listen to every single episode of The Drill Down. And The Drill Down is brought to you by Braintrust, a global talent network that matches highly skilled technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. Braintrust has helped clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour, and more build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost. Visit Braintrust.com, that's B-R-A-I-N-T-R-U-S-T.com, to learn more. I'm Corey Johnson. Welcome to The Drill Down. We're going to talk about some business stories behind some stocks that are on the move. To help me do that is executive producer Isaac Webster. Isaac, how are you? Corey, I'm great. How, how hot are you? Is it are down you? There how are in you? LA? It's. I was about to ask you about the heat wave. It's pretty hot. It's very hot for LA. It's you know we've been reaching 100. jeez. Um, oh, a few times, which is not even where uh, you are. What we're used to. Yeah. Well, yeah. If I were to describe where you were, and I told you it was Culver City, it's not. But it's kind of close. I'm kind of on literally. The west side. I'm literally next door to Culver City, like one block away from the divide. Los Angeles proper, but Culver City adjacent. But it's cooking. Yeah, yeah I'll tell you up here in San Francisco. Yeah. Honestly, it's it's been kind of nice. I hate to say it because it's. I talked to yeah. a buddy in Sacramento yesterday where it was one sixteen. San yeah. Francisco's been kind of mid eighties and kind of nice. Yeah, I was talking to some people that were in town from Arizona. Um, and they were like, look, this is nothing. This is cool for us. Yeah. We're used to 115 temps. And like they were describing their, their, their lifestyle, you know, everything has to be indoors in the summer, putting shoes on their dogs to walk, frying eggs on the, you know, on the sidewalk. Yeah. They could probably still use a stove for that. I would recommend that. If you're listening <laughs> to this podcast right now, don't eat shit off the street. Please don't, please don't do it. Unless you cook it, unless you boil it first, right? Just boil it first. No. Corey, what stocks are you drilling down on today? Let's go back to Coupa Software. Our guest on the show just last week was the CEO of Coupa Software. That's right. Coupa uh, trades under Coop, C-O-U-P, and shares have risen over 10% in a week. We're going to get to that in a second, but they have had a rough 12 months. Coupa uh, shares have dropped 75% over the past 12 months. Yeah, safe to say expectations for this company are not what they were a year ago. But, uh, you know, you heard it on the podcast last week. If you listen to last week's show, company makes yeah. um, business spending management software. They basically help companies spend less on the stuff they're going to buy. And uh, the revenues continue to rise. And they reported a quarter, I think, that, that Rob Bernstein, the CEO, hinted at uh, on our podcast last week. Um, and uh, sure enough, they had a pretty nice quarter 
based again, you know, on, on lowered expectations because they had had such a kind of crummy guidance the quarter before. But revenues were up 18% to $211 million, which includes some acquisitions there, uh, earnings down. They also announced a $100 million stock buyback by a point of context. It's a $4.2 billion company, but $100 million to buy back stock uh, can start to make a difference. Now, as you mentioned, it's uh, damn me with faint praise. These guys um, had uh, used to you know, regularly have revenue growth of 40% quarter over quarter. Now they're guiding it kind of 18%. They reported uh, in the numbers that came out uh, with the quarterly earnings this week. Uh, they're guiding it 15% for next year. So a lot slower growth than what they've had in the past. Nonetheless, um, uh, a little bit stronger, I think, than some of the, the, the doubters might have expected from this company. And um, interestingly, they're saying it really doesn't have to do with what I've seen. Isaac, you and I talked about this on the phone earlier this week. The traffic's back a little bit here right. after Labor Day. Right. People are being asked to go back to the office and are doing so. And uh, people were returning to their physical offices. You know, Coop is saying it's a tailwind. Here's CEO Rob Bernstein. I wouldn't say so much that there's a, due to the fact that more folks are physically in offices, that that's provided tailwind for us. But I think the fact that folks are more engaged in transformational projects to the use of technology has been a tailwind. And, and I think that, you know, can be correlated pretty well with a, with a very strong North America enterprise uh, business we saw th- this, this past quarter with the scalable mid-market business we continue to to drive. So I, I think it's more of the re-engagement, whether it's physical or not, uh, kind of post-COVID. I think that's more correlated. And then uh, definitely nothing overly significant in this quarter in a sort of product-by-product product, uh, mm-hmm. uh, kind of mix. There are quarters where we see supplier risk being at the front end of the driver. We see quarters where uh, the, 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 the travel component of our of our Travel, a T&E offering is seeing, uh, you know, s- some greater pull, but nothing that I call and say, well, this this module, this module really drove the sweet sales. I, it continues to be the vision lock we have with our customers around where, you know, BSM is going and 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 their confidence in us being able to take a, take them there. So to me, that sounded Isaac like a little bit more positive tone than we hear from some other companies in the enterprise software world. But again, uh, this is on, on much lower expectations. These guys doing okay. Yeah, we got hints of what we saw this week from our conversation last week. So yeah, I don't. I, I never recommend that people use this show for investment advice. But if you did, in fact, listen to what he said and went out and bought the stock, you got a nice little bump up today. Yeah, uh, you would have known the what was happening. Results reported this week. Corey, what is your next drill down? Chesapeake Energy, the giant. Uh, oil and gas company. Chesapeake. We haven't talked about Chesapeake in a while. Uh, trades under CHK. Shares have risen 63% in a year. Currently trading around 98 bucks a share. Just barely below their 52-week high of 105 a share. God, I wish my portfolio is up 63% this year. It's not. <laughs> um, but uh, these guys reporting um, uh, some interesting news. Chesapeake, of course, famous for um, taking on a lot of debt and gobbling up, you know, back in the early 2000s, um, lots and lots of natural gas um, uh, uh, fields, uh, but also some oil-rich fields. And Chesapeake um, uh, is now with natural gas at, you know, $10 um, uh, right now, the highest in, in 14 years. 
Um, they're now saying, okay, we're getting out of the oil business. Gas is a great business for us. Uh, and so they're going into the Eagle Ford Shale, one of the hottest um, oil producing regions in the U.S., in the world, really, uh, in Texas. And they're going to sell uh, what, you know, their net acreage there. And net acreage is important because they own pieces of other uh, facilities. But all in all, it's 610,000 acres out there um, in the Eagle Ford. Um, they should get billions of dollars for this. And they've announced a plan to sell this with an auction process that's starting this week. Um, and so they're going to focus on um, and get out of the, the, the Eagle Ford, which is more oil heavy, as I like to say in that business. So, you know, you stick a hole in the ground, something comes out. And it might be gas and it might be oil. And you probably know before it comes out what it's going to be, but it might be a mixture uh, thereof. And Eagle Ford is more gas, uh, light, oil heavy they're going to focus more on the Haynesville shale in uh, Louisiana. And um, I think Haynesville actually extends all the way to parts of Eastern Texas um, uh, and uh, uh, Mount Vernon and, and areas of kind of in the Shreveport area, but uh, Haynesville more gas heavy. The Marsalis shale um, in Western Pennsylvania, importantly, the Marsalis shale goes into New York state, but New York state won't allow fracking. So the oil and the gas won't come out of there, but gas heavy up there in the Marsalis shale, um, in Pennsylvania, they're going to focus on that and they're going to get out of the oil fields in the Eagle Ford Shale. Here uh, at, a, at an analyst event um, is uh, Dominic Delasso, the CEO of, um, of, of Chesapeake. And I think what's interesting here in these comments is he doesn't think that uh, gas is going to stay at $10 uh, per BCF, but he does think that there is a, a meaningful change because of what's happening in the war in Ukraine and the interest in uh, liquid natural gas, that there's a market there where there didn't used to be, and that natural gas isn't going to go back to that uh, seemingly forever price of $2 per BCF that it was set at for so long. He thinks those days are gone and gone for good. Here's the CEO of Chesapeake. Our view of natural gas prices has uh, elevated quite a bit over the last 18 months, along with the rest of the market. We've seen the floor come up. We've seen a couple of things that have been really interesting, uh, primarily the fact that coal just is not providing the relief valve as natural gas prices have gone up, uh, uh, especially this summer. And, and that gives us a lot of confidence around how we think about long-term gas prices. We know the demand will be resilient. We know that the world is short energy. And within being short energy, it's very short natural gas in the near term. Uh, the fact that we have a lot more LNG export out of the United States today is a great thing for the world, we can deliver more energy that is affordable, is reliable, and is lower carbon to the places in the world that it's needed. We can help to offset the effects of a devastating war in Europe. Uh, and we can do so with a commodity, again, that is accretive to the world's climate goals. So uh, we think natural gas prices, you know, I was kind of joking on the greater than 10. I'd love for it to be greater than 10. Uh, in some respects, in some ways, there's absolutely no reason for it to be that high. There's plenty of gas in the United States and around the world to be able to deliver to markets that need it. And so you know, I think you guys in the room landed on somewhere around 3 to $5 for the long-term gas price. I, I can't quibble with that. It could be 350 It could be 4 uh, All of those prices make sense to us. And so uh, when we look at the curve today, we do see it much higher than that in the prompt months, and that makes for great revenue receipts. Uh, but, but our expectation is that it does moderate around the way that the curve is backwardated. We think that's logical. But the floor is so much higher than it's been, and that's really constructive and bullish for uh, the industry, but especially for us as a company.
So Isaac, if, I guess if you think you can, you can set what they call a deck. If you can set, if you can set a, a floor at at three fifty four dollars, and you think you can still make money there, that's the future for this business. Yeah, he seems to think it's the future for the world energy markets too. Corey, what is your next drill down? I want to take a look at HubSpot, that uh, Boston technology, uh, well, giants, not quite right, but HubSpot. HubSpot trades at HUBS hubs and shares have tumbled 14% in a week and have dropped 57% over the past 12 months. So HubSpot, HubSpot. Um, is a company, HubSpot's a different company than it used to be. So it's about a $14 billion company in terms of market cap uh, right now. Um, and you know, uh, uh, you know, enterprise value also right there about thirteen and a half billion with you know a little bit of debt and uh, about seven hundred million dollars in debt and some cash, of course. So, this was a company that made marketing software. Essentially, they made some websites. There was a hilarious book. Strongly recommend this book by Dan Lyons um, uh, called Disrupted. And Dan Lyons, mm-hmm. former print journalist, form uh, famously the fake Steve Jobs. He had a fake Steve Jobs Twitter account for a while. Um, and uh, um, Dan went to work for this company, HubSpot, and found them to be just a hot mess and ridiculous and self-impressed and selling kind of garbage, at least according to Dan's uh, telling of the tale, to unwary, unwary customers um, and, and talked about what a hot mess it was inside of this company and how much he struggled as a very, very clever and smart journalist in a world of very unclever people who are completely focused on selling whatever they could to customers and telling them it could do whatever they wanted to imagine it would do. The company's changed a lot, HubSpot has, and it has a different management. It is also getting on without Dan Lyons perfectly well. Thank you very much, How many years have passed since Dan was there? I'm going to call it a decade. Okay. Um, Disrupted again. Just absolutely a riot, and it just throws cold water on a lot of the these book things. by Dan Lyons. Uh, yeah. Yes, the book disrupted uh, by Dan Lyons. Um, I'm looking at the paperback came out in 2017, so maybe not that long ago. But uh, in any case, um, it, it is it is a, it is what Newsweek called laugh out loud funny. Who writes reviews like that? I mean, isn't um, that ridiculous? Book re- book review book review journalists, I guess. Who want to get clips <laughs> in the back of books? In any case, um, this business. Uh, ambled around with different things around the world of marketing. And what they finally figured out was that there was a world for CRM software, the stuff that Salesforce has built a giant business on. What does CRM mean again? CRM? Uh, Customer Relationship Management. Thank you. Ah. Customer Relationship Management. Basically software that lets you not only keep all of the data about your customers, their name, their phone number, their company, the, their assistant's name, what kind of flowers the assistant likes to get, whatever, you know, whatever, whatever tools you need to, to understand your customer, but also lets you track the likelihood of a certain customer to buy, the things that you've done to increase that likelihood, and where you are in the process of getting that potential customer into being an actual customer and maybe even a growing customer. That's what CRM software does. And like I said, Salesforce has made a giant business out of this Mm-hmm. as Siebel Systems once did a long time ago. These guys have come in and said, we're going to have CRM management software, CRM software at the center of our business, HubSpot that once basically remade websites for companies, but we're going to have it a lot cheaper. And we're, we're and by being so much cheaper, we might not make as much money as Salesforce, but at least we'll have something. And so they've got trailing revenues of $1.5 billion, 
But what they've also seen is that their growth rate has really slowed down. Um, and that in, in this market of kind of cheap software, um, they've seen their growth rate, you know, come way off. And that I think is reflected on the stock price. Nonetheless, their CEO, their, the current CEO, Yemeni Rangan, I'm not suggesting she has any somewhere to go, but I'm saying she wasn't the CEO when Dan Lance wrote Disrupted, which was, as I mentioned, hilarious. Um, the current CEO thinks that by having this really cheap software, um, it's more likely that customers use it just because it's easier to roll it across the organization because it doesn't cost as much to do so. The race to the bottom, HubSpot's on it. Here's the CEO talking about how that's working with their customers. We have customers who are more digitally mature. They have legacy systems in place, and they're finding it really hard to get the return on investment and value from that. An example is Wirestorm. They are an AV signal distribution company, and they left behind a CRM legacy provider because the user licenses costs were expensive and was not effective for them, and they were not able to get the value out of that platform. Therefore, they consolidated on marketing hubs, sales hub, and service hub with HubSpot. They were able to eliminate five-point solutions. They were able to reduce their cost for CRM by 75%. And the best yet, they were able to increase their user adoption to 95%. That is really the holy grail for us. We want to be able to get the user adoption high. In this case, they were able to achieve that. So as you can see, we help customers scale across their digital journey with us. So what are our customers' challenges and priorities, and how are we uniquely positioned to be able to solve it? So yeah, the pom-poms were out there, and we're there, the, the, the executives at HubSpot cheering for HubSpot uh, to be expected from an analyst day. That's a soundbite from their, their analyst day uh, just recently. But I think uh, it does show kind of where they think they're going to find some growth and the ubiquitous nature of CRM software um, increasingly. It feels like it's a very crowded field too. Yeah. Yeah. Which is why that race to the bottom of pricing, maybe not great news for Salesforce. All right, coming up next, we're going to look at artificial intelligence with SoundHound, very interesting company that's doing some interesting stuff around recognizing the things that people say and when they say them um, in an entirely new way. Kivan Mohajer joins us right after this. The Drill Down is brought to you by Braintrust, a global talent network that matches highly skilled technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. Braintrust has helped clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour, and more build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost. Visit Braintrust.com, that's B-R-A-I-N-T-R-U-S-T.com, to learn more. Welcome back to the Drill Down Podcast. As promised, we are now joined right now by the CEO of SoundHound, Kayvon Mahajer, uh, joining us from Silicon Valley. And Kayvon, uh, glad to have you on. What is the product that SoundHound makes? Thank you for having me. SoundHound is a leader in voice and conversational AI. Uh, our, my co-founders and I uh, started the company in the Stanford dorm room 17 years ago, and we had this vision that in, within our lifetime, we can talk to computers and they talk back to us and you can have a conversation with them like in sci-fi movies and we wanted to make that happen. So after 17 years, uh, we built uh, a platform that product creators can use to enable their device or the product, whether it's a service or a product, uh, to talk to uh, uh, their their users. Now, I remember a company called SoundHound that would do sort of music discovery where you would 
hum a tune and it would tell you what the song was kind of like Shazam, except you didn't have to actually play the music. You could actually just play the part you remember. Yes, that, that was us. And you know, some people thought that we pivoted from kind of a music space to voice AI space, but it's actually not how it happened. We started the company to be voice AI, but we also, um, it was important to us to own the core tech because we wanted to be disruptive. We wanted to make it, you know, better than anything else uh, out there. And we were also a bunch of scientists, uh, PhD in uh, engineering from Stanford. So um, that turned out to be a long journey, just building all the components of voice AI, speech recognition, natural language understanding and content domains and cloud and edge. It took a long time and it's not practical for a company to be a startup in R&D mode for 10 years. So we launched products along the way. And one of them was that humming search that, you know, it was still in voice. Um, it was actually, you could speak the name of a song or artist. You could also hum a song and then we added the recorded audio recognition. And that product became quite successful. In fact, it funded us for, for 10 years. So we didn't have to go raise a lot of money. Uh, and then in 2015, we announced our voice AI platform, which was actually the result of 10 years of uh, stealth yeah. uh, development. I think the first I heard of your company was through a VC, Larry Marcus from uh, Walden, who I think- Yeah, is, he's still on our board. Yeah, after yeah. We, we became a public company, we are very fortunate that he chose to stay. He's a drummer. What does he know about singing anything? He can't carry <laughs> a tune. Well, you know, he's, he's, a, he's, he's, uh, he's a really good VC. He, you know, I, I always say he, he, he finds these hidden gems that you know, other people don't know and can't really tell. And, and he invests in them. He's, not, he's had a really good, really and he sticks with him a long time. I, I yes, can't. I'm yes. sure he's a wonderful singer. I mean, <laughs> yeah. He's going to call me and yell at me when he hears this. Um, so you guys have been, but you have been in this sort of unusual, very long period of development. Um, the Because you went public through a spec, you were able to um, uh, say things about your future results that you normally couldn't do if you're doing a regular old IPO. Um, and you've predicted uh, just a ton of revenues. What I think it's five billion. It was a billion in five years is what you what you had predicted. Yes, I've been in five years. And, yes, and but, you know, going, but you're nowhere going, near that yet. Uh, you're not there yet, but we actually have a lot of strong foundation. Uh, so going, going public to respect is not for everyone. Uh, it's definitely become more difficult these days, but it was the right thing for us because we were, we, we had, we have a lot of strong foundation. We have a lot of customers with multi-year contracts, with commitments. Uh, and, you know, we have commitment in the hundreds of millions of dollars uh, in, in contracts. Uh, so, uh, that that's the foundation that we are able to use to attract a lot of you know pipe investment as well and um, and the majority of our revenue will come from the existing customers in the next two years. And and uh, so I never do this, but since this is an audio based company, I'm going to play a demo that you guys put out seven years ago that gathered a lot of attention sure. uh, of sort of showing how Soundhound works. What time is it in Tokyo? It is 10:53 a.m. the next day in Tokyo. What time is it in Tokyo when it's 2 p.m. in San Francisco, California? It is 6 a.m. the next day in Tokyo when it is 2 p.m. in San Francisco, California. When is the sun going to rise two days before Christmas of 2021 in Tokyo, Japan? Sunrise in Tokyo, Japan will be at 6.47 a.m. on Thursday, December 23, 2021. How many days are there between the day after tomorrow and three days before the second Thursday of November of 2022? There are 2,714 days between the day after tomorrow and Monday, November 7th, 2022. So that gets a little more and more bonkers. Um, is that, is that's not faked? No, no, no. That's live product. It was live then, so people could go and try it. And it's gotten better. That was seven years ago. And that actually is very core to our message, uh, which is uh, 
we, we wanted to make computers better than humans in language understanding. And if you think about it, computers are better than us in computing, but they're not always better than us in performing some tasks. Like we used to beat them in chess and Go, but now they beat us in chess and Go. And, but it, when it comes to language understanding, if you think about it, when you talk to other people, like a concierge in a hotel, you can ask them complex questions. But when you talk to you know, third-party assistants, you lower your expectation and you talk in simple short keyword-based questions. Right, and right. If you ask them, show me restaurants except Chinese, they always say, show you Chinese restaurants. Uh, and we just, we, we wanted to change that. We wanted to make computers better than humans. We have a new technology that enables us to do really complex things. And we well, think me, that will make people Let me ask that. you about that. What What's happening there with that? So that isn't just um, a voice to Google search and, and a voice response. Something else is happening there. Yeah, every, everything is, is our tech. Everything is built in-house and, you know, evolved over the last 17 years. So we do speech recognition, we do natural language understanding. We also have aggregated content, uh, either by, by gathering it ourselves or through partnerships. Um, and, um, you know, we serve that to the end user. We also provide that to, to our customers, like car companies, TV companies, and so on. Yeah. So give me an example of a car company. I know Mercedes is a customer. The one we've announced are uh, Mercedes, uh, Honda, Kia, Genesis, uh, Stellantis, that has a huge company, Europe, with multiple brands, sure. uh, uh, which was a merger of PSA and FCA, um, announced with Honda. Uh, we also, you know, outside of automotive, power of Vizio TVs, uh, announced things with Qualcomm, Netflix, uh, with Mastercard. So, give, so, yeah, so give me an example of how the product works in a car. Uh, so there's an edge component and the cloud component. Uh, you know, historically, a lot of those, the voice recognition in the car is edge. That means there's no cloud, so you can only do simple things. We provide that, but we also have a cloud component where you can uh, ask for weather and sports scores and stock prices and complex queries for a restaurant search. Uh, so we have, you know, complete uh, assistance. And then the car companies can take that and customize it. They can add their own brand, their own way forward. Uh, they can bring their own domains, like car manual and, and so on. And then what we are we've announced recently is that we're now bringing um, services that uh, add value to the end user, but can also be monetized. Like while you're driving your car, you can order food, you can order coffee, uh, you can find you know parking and, and so on. And uh, so end users find that convenient, but that generates leads for the restaurants and so on. And then we share that revenue with the car maker. So it kind of creates this flywheel effect. So you've got a service component that helps the car makers and their goals to not just be car sellers, but have a service revenue stream going forward but you're selling the customer information. We're not selling the customer information. Uh, the customers are choosing to engage uh, with those services. So if, you, if you're driving your car, you can use your voice to control the air conditioning and the radio and navigation, and then you can find a restaurant. Uh, and then you choose to place an order for a particular restaurant. And uh, then you're engaging with that restaurant. Through our service, we've also enabled that restaurant to accept voice ordering. So uh, it's all initiated by the, by the, by the user. Interesting. And, and uh, so, you know, the, the demo I just played is seven years old. Some of these deals have, have been on for a long time, and yet the revenue is just barely ramping right now. Well, explain that to me, because your, your bookings exceed your revenue by like 100x, or by 50x, I should say. Yeah, that's the nature of uh, the first pillar of our revenue. So we've identified three pillars. The first one is enabling devices and cars. Uh, and the nature of it is that it takes, you know, from the moment you have the first meeting until you scale in production, uh, it might take several years, um, so it required the patience, but we've gone through it and we had the funding to, to do that and globalize. Uh, but then the second and third pillar that we've introduced, which is services, uh, those can be a lot faster, like voice enabling food ordering for restaurants from the first meeting to enabling to going live can be a matter of days. 
So going forward, you will see a much bigger ramp in revenue in the second and third pillar, but the first pillar, which is the massive booking, those are already contracted and they're already scaled. Now you, you use the word AI. What, what is happening there that is, that is AI? Well, there, there, are different, yeah, there, there are different ways to define AI. I think, uh, you know, anytime a computer, uh, you know, acts like a, like a human, uh, a lot of people choose that as the definition. Uh, but then there's a generic AI that, you know, the, the computer has consciousness and can think for itself and so on. And I don't think anybody's there yet. Uh, obviously, a lot of people are working on it. We are aiming to, you know, disrupt that. But, uh, uh, you know, basically you're, you're, as if you're talking to a human, you know, you, you have a conversation with them, that's, uh, that's AI. And on the back end, how is this happening? Is this, is this in... You know, out in the Amazon cloud or web services or something, or is, or or is, are all the queries being done in house in Silicon Valley? How how does that all work? Uh, so all the tech is ours, so we don't like right. Send you got, you got any third party over hundred uh, patents and so on. Yes, yeah. yes. But for uh, for hosting, you know, because we are an older company, uh, we learn how to have our own data centers, uh, so we have that. Uh, but we obviously for scaling, third party clouds are. Um, uh, you know, it's kind of the way to go, and uh, we announced a partnership with Oracle Cloud, so we are uh, scaling with them globally. You and TikTok, you're right there. Yeah, there are others. There are <laughs> others, there, and the, the quality of the cloud was very good. And you know, we did our due diligence, and that's what we chose. It's it's an interesting business, and it and it, it you know, I think we've all had started to have these interactions with voice. You know, this has been something that computing has been talking about, as you say, you saw science fiction movies, and people been working this field for decades. But it does seem to have really taken off with Siri and with um, all the smart speakers people use and people listening to this program right now, listening to our, our podcast on uh, Amazon Alexa and so on. But what I think what's happening with you guys, it, it, you know, get, gets lumped into the same kind of thing and it's a very different experience. Yeah, I think that, you know, the way I think about it, first, people are adopting voice and sometimes demanding it. That's great. So sometimes technologies are ahead of their, their time. And I have been, I was worried about that until a few years ago that are we ahead of our time, but we are so fortunate that people are adopting it and demanding it, but, but still the voice AI space is early. And I think of it as when smartphones, there were smartphones before iPhone, iPhone was not the first smartphone. There were like so many smartphone players and, um, the people were adopting it, uh, but then iPhone was just so much better that it disrupted it and it kind of created new use cases and and also eliminated all the other players. Uh, and I think we are at that moment where people are adopting voice AI, so that's good, but they're using it for simple things like asking for weather or setting an alarm or playing music. Uh, we, we don't adopt them for everything. And I think there is room for a player to disrupt that and we, we would like to be that. One interesting company and one we can watch a little more clearly now that you're public um, and we're grateful for your time. Kevin Mahajer is the CEO of SoundHound. Thank you for having me. All right, well, coming up next on the Drill Down, of course, the Drill Down Byte, one number that you can listen to and it'll tell you a whole lot about SoundHound right after this. The Drill Down is brought to you by Era. With Era, give yourself an information advantage. Connect directly to earnings calls and other investor events with live transcription and event intelligence. That's Era, A-I-E-R-A dot com. And you don't need SoundHound to listen to our show on your smart speaker. You can just ask your smart speaker to play the Drill Down podcast and hear our latest show. And let us know what companies you think we should be drilling down on. Talk to us on Twitter and Instagram by following at DrillDownPod and connect with us directly at our website, bizpod.net.
Now we're back with a bite, the one number that tells us a whole lot. Well, I talked about their patents. These guys have uh, applied for a bunch of patents. They've been granted a bunch of patents. Isaac, here's the number of how many patents they have. They have 81 patents, which is a lot. That is a lot. And have applied for another 146. So they're just getting started. Well, I think, you know, that's been the story of this company for a very long time as a private. It was just never getting out of the gates with revenue. But now they've finally got some revenue coming in and they're finally getting some of these deals launched. It is very interesting that that they're able to predict, you know, a billion dollar ramp, of, you know, from very measly revenues at this point. Yeah. All right. Well, you've been listening to Drill Down Podcast. We're grateful for your time. I'm Corey Johnson. Isaac Webster is our executive producer. This sound cleaned up and fixed and beautified by our editor extraordinaire Ben thank you our personal sound hound <laughs> our own sound hound <laughs> uh, the drill down to production of the business podcast network